0: Chanukah is a holiday that revolves around miracles. Every night, we light our Chanukkiyot to commemorate the little canister of oil which miraculously lasted eight days. And each morning, we say Halal and Al Hanisim to remember the victory of the few over the many. Though only one of these two events was overtly supernatural, we refer to both as miracles, making us wonder, what exactly defines an event as a miracle? Are supernatural miracles inherently different than ones which employ the forces of nature? What is the line between the natural and supernatural anyway? When does Hashem intervene in the world by suspending the natural order? And when does He leave it intact? Is one method to be preferred over the other? A short and fascinating passage from Bavli Shabbat highlights some of these issues. The Gemara tells of an individual whose wife died shortly after giving birth. The man was destitute and could not afford to hire a wet nurse to feed the child. So Hashem made a miracle and the man developed a breast so that he could nurse the child on his own. On hearing of the incident, Rav Yosef says, e kama gadol Shana Salo Abayi responds, Ad kama garua adamzeh shenishdanulo sidrei breishit? Rav Yosef says that the story is evidence of the man's greatness. After all, a wondrous miracle occurred on his behalf. Abaye disagrees, assuming that something must be wrong if the order of creation needed to be changed. Apparently, not all view the supernatural overriding of nature as a positive thing, making us question, how are we supposed to view and understand miraculous phenomena? Is it preferable to view them as supernatural incidents or as natural ones? The question comes up throughout the study of Tanakh. On one hand, Tanakh is replete with apparently supernatural phenomena, including talking serpents in the, garden, in the Garden of Eden, the 10 plagues, the splitting of the sea, and the stopping of the sun by Yehoshua. But of course, there are also many less flashy miracles, such as those performed by Eliyahu and Elisha, not for the nation, but for lay individuals, the retrieving of a lost ax, the curing of a bitter stew, and the nourishing of a 100 men with but one loaf of bread. When examining the various commentators on these incidents, we see a spectrum of opinions as to how to understand the miracles. On one hand, there are sources which tend to embellish every miracle, making them out to be even grander than implied by a simple reading of the text. For example, Tanchoma suggests that not only did Hashem split the sea, but that it divided into 12 lanes, one for each tribe. And, just in case any children were hungry, Shmuel Rabbah adds, little trees sprung up in the sea, so that the Israelites could pluck fruit as they passed through. Others are equally comfortable with supernatural miracles, but take the verses at face value, assuming that though the events did indeed contravene the laws of nature, they did so only to the extent suggested by a literal reading of the verses. On the other hand, there are those who attempt to minimize the miraculous events of Tanakh and to preserve natural order as much as possible. According to them, when bringing miracles, Hashem utilizes rather than overrides natural law. Divine intervention is noticeable only in the timing and extent of the phenomena, not in its supernatural character. Thus, Hashem does split the sea, but He does so using nature, an eastern wind which plays with the tide and dries the land. Shadal, a 19th century Italian commentator, even points out that a similar totally natural phenomenon can be attested to in later history, when in 1672, changing winds and tides dried up a patch of water, turning the tables in a war between the British and Dutch. Thus, the miracle of the splitting of the sea was not in its suspension of nature, but in the fact that the split happened precisely when and only for as long as needed. Others go a step further in their efforts to reduce the supernatural. Suggesting that certain seemingly miraculous phenomena described in Tanakh did not occur at all. Thus, according to Rabbag, a fourteenth century Provencal commentator, Bilam's donkey never spoke. The whole incident took place only in a prophetic dream. Similarly, Lot's wife never morphed into a pillar of salt. The verse which states that Tahinitsiv Melach does not refer to her, but to the land of stone which became a mound of salt. What leads to this spectrum of opinions? Why doesn't everyone simply take the verses at face value? Why on one hand do some sources prefer to embellish miracles and enhance the supernatural? And on the other hand, why do others attempt to reduce the supernatural, reading miracles as being within the realm of nature or even eliminating some of them entirely? It seems that there are a number of philosophical questions at play in the debate over miracles and the stance one takes on each issue helps determine one's place on the spectrum just mentioned. First, to what extent are the laws of nature mutable? According to those who are comfortable with the supernatural, the answer is, of course, that natural law can be utilized, molded, or suspended at Hashem's will. Since it is Hashem who created the laws to begin with, He can change them as He sees fit. In fact, it's the very existence of miracles which attest to Hashem's role as creator, Ramban, a 13th-century Spanish commentator, writes, When Hashem favors an individual or a group, and performs for them a wonder by changing the natural order of the world, it becomes clear that the wondrous act signifies that the world has God as its creator. According to this position, one might even question whether the concept of natural law exists at all. Perhaps, everything in life is simply a product of divine intervention, with so-called nature constantly changing. Ramban, in fact, writes, A man does not have a portion in the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Until he believes that all that happens to us, it is all miraculous. There is nothing natural in these incidents. In these incidents, nothing is simply the way of the world. The Talmud Bavli in Masechet Taanit echoes this idea, as it tells of Rabbi Chanina Ben daughter who cries when she realizes that she has used vinegar rather than oil to light her Shabbat candles. Her father famously tells her, "Biti, ma'ir Mi Amarla Shemin vidlok, hu yomar l'chometz vidlok. My daughter, why does it matter to you? He who said that the oil should burn, he can tell the vinegar to burn. Natural law is mutable. If Hashem wants, he can set vinegar to burn just as he had previously set oil to do so. Others, however, disagree, suggesting that natural law on the whole is immutable, and as such, supernatural phenomena are quite rare. According to these sources, Hashem set the laws of nature, and just as He does not change, the laws He established must be unchanging. As Hashem Himself says, While the earth remains, sowing and harvest season, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Kohelet similarly shares ma sheya hu sheya u ma hu sheya sa ve what was is what will be what was done is what will be done there is nothing new under the sun as such rabbag declares hi nayhit ba'er sheloi takhen sheit khadesh adar khamfet im lo ma sheit takhen sheit khadesh ha min hakativ According to Rabag, it is not possible to create a totally new object, or for a phenomenon that did not otherwise exist in nature to be introduced, for nature does not change. So-called miracles simply speed up otherwise natural processes. They do not inherently change nature. Rambam is slightly more muted in his stance, agreeing in principle, but allowing for occasional suspension of natural order, with the condition that the changes are only temporary and that all reverts back to nature at the end. According to these sources then, it is natural law, not miracles, which attest to the perfection of Hashem's creation. And as such, positing a change in nature is equivalent to suggesting that Hashem's original creation was not perfect, or that Hashem had not foreseen all that was necessary. A middle stance is taken by those who agree that nature is immutable, but who nonetheless wish to allow for supernatural miracles. They get around the seeming oxymoron by suggesting that miracles were built into the very laws of nature. In the beginning of time, Hashem already commanded that there were to be certain exceptions to natural law. Thus, Rabbi Yochanan in B'Rishit says, Hashem made a condition with the sea that it would split before Israel. And Rav Yirmiya adds, Lo im hayam belvad hitnah ela im kol nivra b'rishit. Hashem made a condition not just with the sea, but with all that was created during the six days of creation. The Mishnah and Avot, which lists the ten supernatural objects created at twilight of the sixth day of creation, is understood to express the same message. Already during creation, Hashem established that Bil'am thanki would speak, the land would swallow Korach, and the staff would bring the wonders in Egypt. These miracles do not contravene nature as they were built into nature from the very beginning. A second related issue which influences people's views on the miraculous is the question of divine providence. To what extent does Hashem involve himself in the world? Is every action of every individual guided from above? Or did Hashem create the world and leave it to basically run itself? Obviously, how much one thinks that Hashem is involved in the world will influence how much one is likely to posit that he constantly intervenes to perform supernatural miracles. On this question, like our other questions, we see a spectrum of opinions. One school of thought believes in total providence and suggests that there is no such thing as chance at all. As Rabbi Hanina Bavli Hulin says, Ein adam no et ba'om melmata, ele machrizim alav melmala. Everything that happens down below is decreed from above. Hashem is constantly intervening in nature to direct the world as he sees fit. Ramban further points out that if one believes in a system of reward and punishment, one cannot escape this conclusion. After all, if rain is contingent on observance of Hashem's commandments, rain does not fall just because of nature, but because Hashem is intervening to ensure that it rains, or that it does not rain, in accord with our deeds. This leads to the conclusion we saw before that really even seemingly natural events are in fact hidden miracles. Moreover, the desire to highlight Hashem's constant providence as much as possible leads some sources to accentuate the supernatural, embellishing Tanakh's descriptions with more and greater miracles, thereby pointing to God's hand in any and everything. Such a view of the world though is not so simple. As the Rambam points out, if one believes in such total providence, what happens to free will? And without free will, what is the purpose of Torah and a system of reward and punishment? After all, it is not really in man's hands to keep Hashem's laws regardless. Moreover, if everything is in Hashem's hands, and all that happens stems directly from his will, how do we explain the existence of evil in the world? As such, Rambam and Rabag prefer to suggest that on the whole, the world is run via nature and that Hashem intervenes only occasionally. According to them, the degree of divine intervention is directly related to an individual's righteousness and how closely he is connected to Hashem. A direct corollary of these assumptions is that Hashem only rarely performs miracles, and moreover, that he would not do so for the undeserving. As such, any episode in Tanakh in which an unworthy individual appears to merit a supernatural miracle might be open to reinterpretation. Finally, a third issue that influenced our debates relates to the purpose of miracles. What prompts Hashem to intervene and contravene nature? Is he always responding to a human need? Must that need be a physical one? Or might the goal of the intervention be simply Hashem, So that you will know that I am Hashem. And when faced with such needs, why is the response something, sometimes in the form of a miracle, and sometimes not? Abarbanel suggests that all miracles are indeed a response to the people's needs, be they physical or spiritual. Moreover, he asserts that the magnitude of the miracle is directly proportional to the need that prompts it. Hashem does not intervene in nature without reason, and not every trivial problem gets fixed with a miracle. As such, one might wonder about any miracle which seems disproportional to the benefit that it provides. For example, if there was little to be gained by turning Lot's wife into a salt figurine, there is good reason to look for an an alternate reading of the verse. In contrast to Abarbanel, those who blur the line between the natural and supernatural might see no distinction between fulfilling a major need or a minor one. After all, all is the same to Hashem. The debate around miracles then is intrinsically related to several other debates, beliefs regarding the immutability of nature, views on divine providence, and the question of whether miracles need be in proportion to the benefits provided by them. Differing takes on these issues lead some to see the supernatural all over and others to reduce evidence of the supernatural. Going back to Hanukkah, which side of the debate did Chazal take when instituting the holiday? A quick glance at the Al Hanisim prayer suggests that they are closer to Ramban than to the Rambam. The prayer highlights not the overtly supernatural miracle of the oil, but the more natural miracle of the victory in war. Al Hanisim is thus recited in the blessing of Modim, in which we express gratitude where we express thanks for the everyday miracles which are with us every evening and every morning. Apparently, the message of Hanukkah is that we should note the hand of Hashem, even in the mundane aspects of life. For more on miracles and for a selection of topics related to Parshat Miketz, please visit alatorah.org. Chanukah Sameach.